Okay, warriors, you are listening to Unqualified Therapists. Remember, stay wild and weird. Hey, warriors, this is Amy. And I'm Sarah. We are the hosts of The Unqualified Therapist. We are not here to give you advice. We are here to tell you our stories, share your stories, and bring on the professionals from time to time. Mental health is complicated, and we know that from our personal experience. We believe in professional therapy. Both Sarah and I use that on our own healing journeys. But we also know it isn't one size fits all. The stigma surrounding mental illness can make us feel alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. And you're listening to The Unqualified Therapist Zinc. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Unqualified Therapist. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. (laughs) We are back. And believe it or not, we have another amazing interview. Yes. Of course, why would you not believe it? That was stupid. (laughs) I guess because we keep telling you we're coming in with Magic Pill episode where we are going to talk about some... What, what actually works but you know we keep getting these great interviews that we want to share with you yes yeah so you are guy you you are guys <laughs> you uh, probably most of you are ladies yes but we are not we are gender neutral here yes you all so you are all in for a treat though um this is going to be a very blunt episode though so i just feel like i gotta give you that warning and throw that out there and, it, and you know i think that it's so good for people but unless you're like right in the middle of or you just came out of a big loss yeah. or any loss I guess where mm-hmm. you've been de- like otherwise I feel like it's it's very informational yes we are talking to a mortician today her name's Christy Chiaponi and she has all the answers for us and really kind of digs into normalizing death and what happens when we go through this experience and I just am so enthralled by this whole thing especially having just gone through it and having gone through it several times um it's it's definitely interesting to hear the other side of it and it's not anything I would have ever been interested in to talk about until it until it happens to Mm -hmm. you and then it's too late Mm -hmm. and you're confused yes so she tells us a little bit about the questions you should ask a lot of really cool insight of things, you know, that you can ask the directors um, and then things to do to prep before if, you know, you're ready and willing to kind of take some steps prior to death. Yeah. So I thought it was really cool. One of my favorite things that we learned is that there's so many options. Like mm-hmm. you can kind of do whatever you want to do when it comes to celebrating or mourning at the end of life. And this was just, it was a really great conversation. Yeah. This is one that Sarah and I have been wanting to have for a long time. Christy is one of our Patreons. She has been a loyal listener since day one. And her um, expertise in this area is just something that is so near and dear to both of our hearts because we don't want anyone to struggle because you're struggling enough. Right. When someone dies. Yes. And so let's let's try to make this process a little bit easier. And maybe there will be a tidbit in the back of your brain that you like. Oh, I remember. I remember. This is what I do. Yeah. So I hope that you guys can enjoy mm-hmm. um, and get some really good information because that's us. We talk about the things no, no one, one else, else has talked about. about. <laughs> Here's our conversation with Christy Chaponi. So we are so excited to be talking to Christy Chaponi tonight. Christy is a funeral director and embalmer, also known as a mortician. So we are super excited to be talking to her because we do talk a lot about death on our show. Um, It is a natural part of living. And we are trying to really have the conversation around grief a lot. And this is just a, a part that... Both Amy and I have had to go through, obviously, with losing loved ones. And it's just an interesting 
section portion of dealing with death and um that you would not have any experience with until you have the experience with it exactly and so yeah so So from experience (laughs) on the other side here i wanted to see if we could give you some help out there um you know hopefully it's not anything you have to deal with soon but but it really would be nice to um to have had some information prior a weird thing like to be like hey i'm gonna go research what to do when you die (laughs) yeah just like on a regular like on a tuesday night yeah what happens how do i handle this so christy Uh, we're so get the calls in like 2 30 in the morning when someone's died and they're like what do i do right right (laughs) so tell us about yourself though like beyond that who is christy besides A a mortician yeah I'm a mom. I am a runner. I am close to my family. So I'm a sister and a daughter. Um, I'm pretty outgoing. I'm, I'm very outgoing. Um, I think I'm hilarious. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm pretty liberal. I'm, I'm outspoken. You know, I'm also very short. I'm five feet tall. And I also have three brothers. So in, you know, an Italian household that's kind of loud, I had to save my space. So I became the loudest child (laughs) and the one that did everything because I had to, you know, I guess in my eyes, prove my worth or, you know, just to stay at the table, you have to, you have to be loud in that household. So often people think I get angry when I talk because I talk loud. I often like go up and then. I'm like, are you? Or, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> You're like, this is, this is just me, man. Just passionate. Just, just passionate. need to get that yeah, voice out yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. Because, like, you're yelling at me. And I'm like, oh, but this is how I suck. <laughs> like, no matter what I'm saying. So, so tell us, how did you decide to get into this profession? Um, I mean, if there's anything when you thought you've had a calling for something, I guess this was kind of it. I was in high school, actually. Um, I was a junior. I was driving with my mom. You know, I grew up in Cincinnati, so we were driving around. I don't know where. We ended up passing a funeral home of son and father that my parents knew, and I just I said to my mom, "I think that's what I want to do." And she was like, "All right, we'll go talk to Steve, like see what it's all about." So I did, and um, I worked there. Yeah, so I, it was always something since high school, and I wasn't I wasn't goth or anything, or I played sports. I was outgoing, you know, it wasn't anything like creepy or, you know, scary or weird. I mean, it was weird, but it was just, you felt called. Yeah. I went to Ohio university for two years, um, came back to Cincinnati because there's a mortuary school there and I finished my degree there. So I have my bachelor's in mortuary science. And then I moved to Chicago in 95 and have worked at two funeral homes my entire career. Wow. I have now 24 years. It's been my only adult job. I imagine that when you like had the conversation with your friends or family or whatever, they were like a little bit like perplexed when you were like, this is what I'm gonna do now for my, you know, like, when I don't know, when you graduate, everybody's like, what are you going for? What are you going to do? My parents were always, have always been super supportive and are just like, okay, like, let's figure this out. How, what's it going to take to do it? So they've always been fine. I do remember my grandmother being like, why, why would you want to do that? Like, that's the only thing I remember of anything negative, really. I remember talking about AIDS, like in high school and, and that being kind of a concern. And like, now it's like, seriously like the least worries like back in the prep room so can you tell us about your job yeah so in the state of illinois which is where i live in chicago now so i work in um, cook county which is the biggest county in illinois and by law if you remove a deceased person from house nursing home hospital you have to be a licensed funeral director Um, to really transport a deceased person anywhere you have to be a licensed funeral director so um, I do removals, make arrangements with families. I answer the phone, so I'm constantly answering questions. Um, once a family makes arrangements, there's all the things that go in with that as far as like, you know, calling church if they want a service, ordering the casket, ordering the cards, getting the information into the computer system that generates our death certificates, getting that to the doctor. You know, if not, you know, calling the doctor's office, like what's taking so long or 
following up on that stuff. A lot of clerical things that, you know, some funeral homes have staff that do that does that. They might have like a secretarial staff that handles the ordering part. But the firm that I work for doesn't. It's a dad and two sons. And I go to the Board of Health. I pick up death certificates, you know, for the families. I take ashes, deliver ashes to where they need to go. I direct funerals. So it's it's a wide breadth of things that need to be done. Sometimes I don't leave the office because I've got a lot of, you know, we've had like six deaths come in. And so we've got to get stuff in the computer. We got to get doctors to, you know, and then there's some days when I'm not in the office at all because I'm either on a funeral or, you know, there's a couple of removals that need to be made. So just like out and about, which I really, really like. Oh, and I also do the embalming. I do most of the embalming at the funeral home that I work for. So there definitely is a different grieving process in the funeral home if the body's there or if an urn is there. It's completely different atmosphere. So, oh, that's interesting. You know, the, you know, if you see the person, you see them in a casket, they don't look like themselves. You know, it either gives you like, okay, they're not here or it gives you a chance to say goodbye, you know, and, and some families just want to come in and do like an ID um, before the person dies. So we, you know, clean them up and make them presentable and let the family come in. And it's basically just a, a goodbye. It makes it real for a lot of people. And, you know, it helps them to start the grieving process by doing that, you know, as opposed to if they didn't see the person and we cremate right away and then they're just sitting there and they, they're looking at pictures, you know, it's not as an emotional experience. So you can feel feel the difference. Yeah, I think that there's definitely something with seeing the body, which is like, you know, with my story, how, how I went all the way out to Phoenix yeah. to see him. And um, that's what they did. Random funeral home, but um, just cleaned him up for me to kind of say goodbye. Yeah. I think it's it's an interesting experience and I the first kind of glimpse I had into it. So, you know, I I lost my dad, I'd lost my brother, but I wasn't like involved in any of the process with that. Now with my mom, my sister is a hairdresser and my sister asked cuz my sister did her hair for I don't even know Ever. how many years. Yeah, forever. So yeah. she said, "Can I do her hair?" And the funeral director said, "Absolutely." And so she mm -hmm. came in and she was able to go in and they were, had already done her makeup and everything. And so her hair had been like, you know, washed and, and prepared for her to blow dry it and style it. And that was a, a part that was really hard for her. And, and she kind of broke down because, you know, of she's course. a hairdresser and she's been doing this on, you know, so she's thinking in her head, oh, I can't get too close. I'm going to burn her scalp. And then it's like, mm. oh, I don't have to right. think about that. And then, you know, it's like, and then it's like, oh, I can't tug. It's all the things that you naturally think of as a hairdresser. She's getting those thoughts. And like, as soon as they're coming in her head, she's negating them immediately. Yeah. Because, you know, and so it was this doesn't very push-pull thing with her emotions. Yeah. And, and it was really hard. And I never really thought about that until she had that experience. And so it's, it's like, how do you, do you do any of the, the prepping in terms of like hair and makeup? Do you have somebody who does that for um, you? I do some of the makeup sometimes the hair. Absolutely not. Like if they want it just brushed, I'll brush it. But I mean, look at my hair, <laughs> like, <laughs> like the least, you know, it, the least thing I can do to my hair is the better. So there's a service, there's a woman that that's all she does is oh, wow. go travel around the funeral homes and does hair for, I'm glad your sister had a chance to do that. I bet in the end, it was probably pretty cathartic for her it was, to be able it, to do that. Yeah. It was, it definitely was. Even though it's emotional and that's, you know, and it's, it gives her a time to cry in peace, you know, and kind of talk to mom or whatever she needed to do. I think that's, I love it when families ask if they can, can I do this? Can I, of course, like, yes. Cause it just gives them some space to, to grieve, you know, on their own and maybe not have people coming up to them or people watching them or. Yeah. having to do something else. It's just they're alone. I think that's an important thing for our listeners to know then is that don't be afraid to ask if you have exactly. some sort yeah. of thing that you can do to help in preparation. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that it's they're open to allowing you to do that. Yeah. And if they're not, you know, that could be a reason to go somewhere else. You know, if they're not willing to accommodate you in those things, like it's not hurting anybody. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. like <laughs> I mean, it's not hurting the deceased and it's not hurting you know the funeral home and that's one of the things about the industry that really irks me is that a lot of the older generation are very staunch in their traditions and they're like yeah. you know cremation oh what are we gonna do with cremation everybody's gonna be cremated i'm like okay but then then switch one of the questions that i have uh, for myself and for our listeners is what do we do when someone dies what is the procedure that we are supposed to follow 
I was giving talks before um, COVID on what do you do when somebody dies? What are you supposed to do? Who do you call? What, what do you, you know, what, what are you to expect? And because who, yeah, who the hell knows that until you come right. upon it, somebody dies at home. This is going to be all specific to the state of Illinois. Um, if somebody dies at home and is not specifically under hospice care, you have to call the police. So they have to come out, they bring, um, the EMT comes out, they do um, what they call telemetry, where they hook the person up to the paddles and it can signal to the closest hospital. And they call the emergency room and say there's no pulse and the doctor gives a pronouncement time. Um, we used to have to physically take the bodies to a hospital when this would happen to get the time of death, but they can do it electronically now. And then the police have to call the medical examiner um, and usually they're telling them this person has this medication at home. Family has said that they're seeing a doctor for this. You know, there is a history of illness. There doesn't look to be anything out of the ordinary. The medical examiner will be like, release the body. Like, go ahead. They can call the funeral home. So at that point, the family can call their funeral home and the funeral home will come out and get the person. Um, and that's 24 hours a day. So we know that, you know, we're going to get calls in the more, you know, in the middle of the night that grandma died at home and we need to come and get her. Um, nursing homes, we also have to remove them pretty quickly because I don't know why, but nursing homes do not have any morgue or any kind of storage facility. So they always tell you, you have four hours to pick your funeral home. And so people are like, oh, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh. in a hospital, you can wait till the next morning because they all have morgues. So, and there, there's procedure that has to happen there too. You can't just go and pick them up. You have to wait for the death certificate. You know, if there's an autopsy, you have to wait for that. Or, you know, family has to tell the hospital what funeral home. So if somebody dies under hospice care at home, you call hospice. They come out, they pronounce the body, and then you're free to call the funeral home. It doesn't have to be reported anywhere unless for some reason, something that attributed to their death was an accident. You know, like say you were somebody was shot, but they died six six years later and it was a result. Then they have to go to the medical examiner because it'll be deemed either like a homicide or an accident. Otherwise, then they just go straight to the funeral home from there. You know, in hospice, either in-home hospice or in a, a hospice facility, I almost like frequently like try to figure out how I can work for a hospice. <laughs> like just be like an advocate to let people know that it's there and like what a great service it can be. Mm. The average length of stay in hospice is one day. So you're, most of those families are not getting the benefit of all that hospice can do. Because, you know, part of it is they're being treated by doctors. Doctors aren't necessarily going to be like, Meh, why don't you go into hospice now? Like, you know, we can't do anything for you. You know, they're still trying. They're still trying. The family still wants to work on it. You know, how do you tell them like, stop trying? You know, it's time to die. You know, who wants to hear that? So... Somehow we got to find out or find a way to let people know or to to have that thought in their mind. Like, if I don't want to go through this, I can live the last couple months of my life pain free and not go through chemo again and be miserable and miss seeing people because, you know, chemo is terrible. Or even if you have a chronic illness that's coming to the end, that's, uh, you know, a reason to go to hospice. But like their entire reason for being is palliative care, which is not treatment. It's to make the person comfortable. When you're going into hospice, you're saying that you're, you're done with treatment. So they're there to make you comfortable. They're there to help you like normalize death, to talk about it with your family. You know, it gives you that time to be able to say goodbye. Yeah. You know, and, and certainly there's instances, you know, Sarah and both of you where the deaths that you guys have experienced that never was an option. But if it is an option, I, I applaud families that are able to use the service for, any length of time, because I know that most of the hospices that we deal with have such a good crew of social workers and nurses and assistants, and they really helped us move through this. And, yeah, you know, and it's, you know, and it's also like the firsthand experience of experiencing a death and like really seeing that person die. You know, people ask me like, what's it like to watch someone die? And I'm like, I have no idea. I've never seen somebody die. <laughs> like they're already dead when I get there. Like, I don't know. So like, that's, I think one thing that people is a misconception that I see people dying, which I never have. So yeah, I don't know how I would act. I've, I've had friends that have been with loved ones when it's happened and it's been different experiences, but yeah, if the one thing hospice is, and it was like completely off tangent, but 
It's not because this is something that I don't think that people knew really. I would, I didn't know. I mean, not that I've ever had anybody chronically ill in my life, but, um, it just sounds like such a more peaceful way to go. But I also know that like saying that you're done fighting is also probably really hard. Yeah. Yeah. My dad had hospice care for, I think less than a week. Yeah. Um, so it was very short lived and my sister's husband had hospice care for also a very short amount of time, but yeah, it is available. It is an option for sure. Uh, so I, I have a question about kind of along that same lines. I've recently discovered a profession of a death doula. Mm -hmm. Do you have any experience with that? Do you work with any? I don't. Um, I do have a, when when I was doing one of these death talks, um, a woman did come up to me and she was finishing her certification of that. So basically they just kind of like sit with the person while they die, you know, or sit with the family and, you know, maybe like normalize what's happening. Like, okay, this is normal, you know, they're supposed to make these sounds or this is, you know, maybe if the hospice nurse, because, you know, they can't be there 24 hours a day, you know, the nurses come once a day and then, you know, when the death occurs. So I think it's, you know, something along those lines. That is a really interesting, like, so to help transition the other way. Yes. So it is yes. into the world and out yes, of the world. Exactly. Huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd like somebody that, you know, they're not necessarily the doctor, but they can, you know, hold your hand. They can get you your chips of, you know, your ice chips. They can, you know, it's just somebody there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we used a birth doula and, and that was fucking awesome. Like, yeah. like she was, you know, it was so nice to have somebody there that knew what was going to, you know, that. Mm-hmm. understood what was happening and just the expansion of the death industry. You know, I think it really, there's a woman out in California, um, Caitlin Doherty. She's the one that wrote, um, she did a couple books. I think the last one was uh, smoke. It's in your eye. Uh, and it's about running a retort, uh, running a crematory. Oh, wow. But she has a society called, um, I think it's the society of the good death. And she has a lot of resources on green burials or helping families maybe participate in the funeral part a little bit more. Or there's this woman, I want to say she's in New York, but she works with families who have had a death in the home. You know, grandma died, but the family wants to spend a little bit more time with them before the funeral home comes. So she comes in with this whole packet of like to help wash them down, maybe to bring more diapers, you know, just to kind of clean them up and put them in like some kind of proper under thing, kind of normalizing it for the family. Like, yeah, you can still sleep in the same, you know, if you need to sleep one more night with mom, like that's okay if you, you know, Mm. and it's, it's not, it's not getting away from the funeral home. You know, it's just, we, you know, we want to spend a little bit more time before the funeral home comes to get mom or whoever. And I think that like that idea is fantastic to me. Like anything that helps the family just process it better and, you know, have, come to some kind of better terms with it. You know, like going back to the time when, you know, three generations lived in the house and you lived on a farm and so you saw things die. That's just normal, you know, and obviously that doesn't happen anymore. And they still are like, don't bring the kids to the funeral. And I, with my daughter, you know, she's 15 now, but I remember she maybe wasn't in school yet or barely kindergarten. And she was at the funeral home with me and I was talking to somebody in the prep room, but I had her behind me and I kind of was blocking the door. And then we got in the car and we're going home and she said, well, how's that guy laying on that table back there? I was like, oh, (laughs) well, you know, he was dead. And so, you know, we went through that and there was a period where she would ask a lot, how did that person die? How did that person die? How did that person die? You know? And so we talked a lot about death and then her fears like, well, but you're going to die someday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like we're all going to die someday. I said, but you know, statistically speaking, like it's not going to happen for a very long time. Great grandmother, like just died like two months ago, you know? And she was like, well, grandma Seal's going to die. I'm like, yeah, she is probably going to be the first one because she's the oldest. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk about that a lot and just kind of normalizing it to her, you know, just, you know, it's, it's this, it's the same thing about like talking to your kids about sex. You talk in their language and you answer the question. You know, yeah. because they're going to be like, hey, what? Oh, okay. You know, and then they go off and play. So that's exactly what it is. They'll ask these big, big questions and then you answer it. 
and specifically I'm talking about Avery and he'll just be like, okay, so can we now like play this game or whatever? It's just, it's very quick and it's just so much better than just avoiding it or making it seem like it's this hush hush thing or Mm -hmm. like a bad thing to talk about. That is definitely something that I think can help even as we're like raising this new generation, you know, who it's just been something we talk about. We just talk about death. So when we first got together about having this conversation, one of the things that you wanted to talk about was normalizing death, which I think is extremely important. It is an inevitable part of living and our culture makes the whole experience so awkward. So what do you think that we can do to help normalize this experience? Yeah, and maybe like the more you talk about it, you know, I mean, because it's a shattering life event that happens, you know, when someone that you love dies, like no matter how prepared you are, you're never, you know, you're never not crying, you know, when it happens, I've, you know, oh my God, I thought, you know, it's like, you know, and everybody apologize, I'm sorry, I'm crying. I'm like, why, why are you sorry? Like, just pretend I'm not here. Like, do what you gotta do. Like, I don't care. Like cry, this is the time you cry. But maybe if we did like talk about it more, like when the time came, not that it would be less severe, but, maybe they could just handle that severity a little better. They might have a little better understanding and could somehow normalize, yeah, normalize it and kind of have some background as to why or what. And, you know, death, sex and taxes, nobody talks about those things. It's right. It's something you're all going to have to deal with. I can, and and for me, the more information I have, the better Mm -hmm. I feel. Yeah. You know, I, I, and every situation I was just making fun of myself because somebody was asking, telling a story like they're like, oh, I got a fish sandwich from this new place. I was like, what kind of fish sandwich? Was it breaded? Was it square? Like, <laughs> you know, I was like asking all these stupid, you know, because I need to know I need to have like, you know, because a fish sandwich. What the hell does that mean? Yeah, I like to know way too much information surrounding the item that we're talking about to fully understand it. Oh my God, that's so funny. My mom was like that. She had to know the details, the details of everything. Mm -hmm. Before she could make a decision. Well, before she could make – also, though, like, what would you have for lunch? I had a fish sandwich. No, I need to know (laughs) the details of that fish sandwich. What kind of bread? Was it on a bun? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Exactly. But which may also be a good thing in the job because, you know, certainly we all make mistakes. You know, on death certificates, we'll, you know, because the state of Illinois uses a computer program or a database to generate our death certificates. And so once I press like finalized, you know, it's going to the state. I can't correct it anymore. So if I've spelled something wrong, they do have we do have a grace period of about uh, of a month to change things if we have to. But, you know, if somebody, you know, we've done the job and we're giving the family and they're like, oh, my God, this is spelled wrong. You know, that could be a huge problem for them you know yes. you're like it's a clerical error like but you can't say that like dude calm down you know because everything is a huge issue no matter what it is you have to be detail oriented but um you also have to be able to realize that they're in grief yeah like, they're not yelling at you because they're mean you know most families when they yell at you or are you know and i have to say like most of them come back and apologize. That's how it is with grief. And it's just, you know, you got to let it roll off your back because, yeah. you know, some people can be really nasty. <laughs> yeah. Really nasty. So that actually to... leads me to my next question. So, you know, after working with people in the throes of the hardest time of their lives, how do you decompress and, and return to the land of the living? Part of it is it's something that I can tolerate over and over again. Some would say that it's because I'm you know, like a cold-hearted bitch and <laughs> I have no feelings. So, you know, obviously this isn't going to bother me. You know, and most of the time, I don't, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know any of these people that we're dealing with, unless it's a repeat family. And I still might not even know who the dead person is, you know? So yeah. to me, it's, it's my job. Like I'm here to get this thing going and to be seen as little as possible, but to make this thing happen so that you can mourn with your family, you can greet your friends, whatever you have to do to start the grieving process and to, you know, lay your loved one to rest. However, that manifests in your family, you know, whether it's just a cremation or, you know, you have a full service funeral, but, you know, it's like you kind of go into that mode of, okay, so they need me to do this, this, and this, like, because they can't, you know, one, because they just physically can't and, you know, who, why would you want to be doing that stuff? You know, if that was something you could do, like, that's just ridiculous. But so most of the time I can, I can disassociate because I don't know these people. 
So it's not sad to me. I mean, it's sad because, you know, somebody died, but, you know, there's certainly some cases that are just fucking God awful and we're all, we're all touched by it and have to take a step back and cry and hug each other because some deaths are just, yeah, they're just horrible. And, you know, they leave families just devastated or, or, or when you can really feel the love that the families had for somebody when they eulogize or, you know, that's always, that always gets you in the feels as well, (laughs) as does taps. I don't care who the funeral's for. When they start playing taps, that you're you're done. Yeah, they do that. If you're buried at a um, national cemetery, um, they do that. They do the um, 21 gun salute and taps and folding of the flag. If you're buried in a like a regular secular cemetery, you can request honors and they'll send two. Well, they send three people from whatever branch of service the person served in. One place taps and then they have folks fold the flag the only time you can have a gun salute is um if it was an active member that died like outside of a national cemetery it's a great service it's free you know the burial spot is free for the family if um the veteran served in war at war during wartime which is at this point almost everybody now it's volunteers but they're just top notch it's just great and they they take such good care at least the cemetery that's close to us that we use it's just really great to know that these options are out there. I think a lot of times, too, when you're in this sort of situation, you can't think clearly. You don't know what's available. Right. And you, you need to know. Somebody needs to tell you, you know, what your yeah. options are. So this is really great yeah. for our listeners. And it's, it's easier to make those decisions if you also do it ahead of time, which most funeral homes will. You can do a pre-need where you can plan the whole thing, pay for it. And then when the time comes, you just have to call the funeral home. What should people do ahead of time? to prepare for this you know i mean like i know i should have a will i do not um not necessarily i mean yeah but i mean like there's like things that i things i know that like we're supposed to do but talking about death and thinking about that process you know it's still super hard to do i think it's hard for anyone so i guess like what are the pros and cons of doing it getting all that stuff taken care of now and how do you go about doing it and how do you pick out a funeral home the the main thing i think that people should do ahead of time is sign some kind of advanced directive which those are if i am in the hospital on a you know if i'm brain dead you know do you want them to take every effort to keep you alive do you want you know, the hospital, if there's, you know, there's, there's several suggestions. If there's a chance that I might get better then you know, um, those are really important or having something like the DNR, which is, you know, do not resuscitate. So those things are important. Another thing that's extremely important that, you know, I don't know how to get this out enough is having somebody that is power of attorney over healthcare because, and that's something you have to do when you're alive, you have to assign someone power of attorney over healthcare. So that is useful if you're single and you have no family. It's useful if you're a couple, you know, a couple that's not married because Illinois does not recognize common law. So if your partner were to die, you get no say. Hopefully the family will let you, but everything has to be signed. It has to be a blood, like the, the chain of command is if the deceased had named someone power of attorney over healthcare, so that person is number one to make funeral arrangements and to decide anything, you know, healthcare related. Um, the second person is spouse, adult children, parents, and then siblings. So there is generally somebody in those categories that you can come to, but we've definitely had a lot of people that, like we had a, a family the other day, last week in fact, that they had two preteens together she died and he he's come in to make arrangements and we're like you can't like you have to get a hold of her family and they're like well they don't really get along i'm like well then you have to bury her because you are not allowed to sign for cremation you just you can't by law we just we can't do it wow so and you know and it, the, the the reason is because you can't you can't reverse cremation you know if the family did come forward and say i didn't want that for one they're going to sue us and we're going to lose our license yeah and two you know, if somebody's buried, you can always disinter and then cremate. So there's always that possibility. But so assigning someone power of attorney over healthcare is so important. And even if you are married and you want somebody that's going to be maybe less emotional to be able to handle that and execute the directives that you have, 
name that person. That's okay. It's so important because, you know, so many friends want to come in and do things, which is admirable. That would be one good reason to make a pre-need because you can sign, you can sign for your own cremation ahead of time. You can do all of that. You can pay for it. You know, it locks in the price that you paid that time. So if you live for another 10 years and the funeral home increases their prices, you are not responsible for that. And kind of the peace of mind of knowing that maybe your kids don't have to do it. Again, we had a family. Uh, it was two sisters. Sister died. There's nobody else. So she's like, I'm going to have to come in and make a prearrangement. She's like, you guys do that, right? And I was like, of course. She's like, all right, I'll be in next week. And I'll, because I got to get mine together because she hasn't, no, she never had kids and her sister never had kids. And it was just the two of them. If she doesn't do it, nobody can do it for her. And she wants to be cremated as well. So like those things are reasons to do that. And also any reason to do like an advanced directive is so you can control how you die. You know, there's the whole movement of dying with dignity. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Oregon's the only state that allows assisted suicide at this point. But, you know, if you have a terminal illness, it's kind of like hospice. If you can prove that you have a terminal illness or whatever the hoops that you have to jump through to be able to do assisted suicide, you know, women's wombs and people's deaths are, you know, something that the government has to have complete control over for some reason. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, if you can do everything else, decide, yeah, decide for yourself, like, why can't you decide when you die or how you want to die? I think that like the two biggest things are having some idea of what you want. And just tell your family, you know, because even if you, you know, you don't necessarily maybe have to fill out these things or do all of this, if that's too hard and you just want to start slow, just tell your family what you want. Because most of the time they're going to be like, okay, you know, it's what you want. You know, I don't, you know, I've rarely had families be like, fuck, no, we're doing it my way. You know, like, I don't care what I want. You know, they might not want to do it, but they do it anyway, you know. So as long as they know. You know, because, and again, so many people come in, I have no idea what they wanted. I have no idea what they would have liked. I, you know, so in that respect, it's like, well, do what you want. What's going to make you, what's going to help you the most. You know, those things are really, really important of just knowing it's just, they're, they're hard conversations to have. They are, mm -hmm. but they're so important. They're so important to have just to, to let people know what you want. Cause that's it. That's the end, you know? Right. Right. And and it also, maybe and it helps with the psychology of bringing that stuff to present, you know, what's important to you kind of thing. I mean, you think that I like being in the industry and I guess anybody in the industry would have some kind of, I know the secret of life or, you know, <laughs> I know how to live in the moment, you know, no, absolutely not. Cause you know, it's a job too. So I yeah. still get mad at drivers. I still, you know, am pissed about something that happened at, you know, my daughter's school or, you know, something stupid. So I guess we're reminded of it more often, you know, just cause we see it all the time. Yeah. Just like, it's only now that's it. Yeah. So has there been a trend or a possibility or have you seen anything leaning towards more, less of a somber I display, I guess, at a funeral home, but more of like a party? For sure. Yeah. Um, maybe more in like rural areas, I would say like, because places where they can build a new funeral home, because a lot of funeral homes are building like the, um, the banquet hall attached to it so that they they can do everything at the funeral home. Yeah, we've definitely had families that bring in like a shit ton of booze to the, you know, the lounge that we have upstairs that are laughing and, you know, and people are, you know, they're kind of nervous. Can we, you know, and I tell people like, if it's not going to explode or, you know, cause damage to something, like, I don't give a shit what you do. So people like, should I'm, ask. Like, whatever works for you, they just got to ask. Yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, it's your funeral. It's your loved one's funeral. Like, do what you want. Because if you're not going to change and accommodate this then you know you don't deserve to keep your business running because it's just it is different you know you want to do things different you want to people are getting away from tradition you know yeah. and, and i think a lot of that is the um you know our generation and the former generations are the ones coming after us are more and more less religious so there's yeah. you know the thought of going to church isn't necessarily or to to mourn right or to have that you have to cry you have to you know that's also very important, but you know, you also can have a party. You can also, you know, put the music on that you want to, you can like, there's all that there. There's definitely room for I all think of those that's things. So important for people to know, and I'm sure it's not all funeral homes, but ask, because I just thought when Scott died, I thought there is no way in hell he will haunt me. Well, he does still, but he would haunt me more if yeah. I had had 
a, a stuffy ass funeral. Like I couldn't even imagine that process. And I didn't, and doing something without a funeral home is very complicated and it is easier to have a funeral home that you're working with. So if that's possible, if that's a possibility, I feel like that's like something that is important for people to know that they can ask. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, you don't have to be bawling your eyes out to be so fucking sad and grieving. You know, it just isn't, it isn't that way for everyone. My dad, you know, was terminally ill. He had colon cancer when he passed. So he knew about six months before he died that he was going to die. Um, Actually, it was longer than that because they gave him six months and he lived another year, I think. So um, he had plenty of time and he made CDs. I mean, this was in the early 2000s. So he made CDs of the music he wanted played. So he was able to say, and of course he wrote on the CD, don't forget the first three letters of funeral are fun. Um, (laughs) Because that was just like his, you know, sense of humor. Uh, He knew what, you know, he, he just had the details. He wanted us to have fun. He wanted us to celebrate him. We were able, right. we actually had a party before he died for him. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's that he awesome. could, so great that yeah. he was at. And everybody could come and say goodbye. Yes, and, and say goodbye. So yeah. they were able to like wow. share old stories and laugh with him and, and get to spend time with him just, you know, one last time. These are people yeah. that he went back, you know, decades before who had worked, he had worked yeah, with. He got, to, like, he, like, he got to be present for his wake. Exactly. So he was there to to be able to, to do that. And it was uh, the summer before he passed. He passed in November and it was, you know, around August time. So it was just a few months. So he got to really yeah. see those people prior to that. And then at the funeral home, uh, my friends from college, they just, you know, know that I deal with everything in humor. So we were kind of sitting around on the floor and like telling stories and laughing and having like a good time so much so that the interim pastor of my church came over because he didn't know me because he was the interim and our pastor had just left. And he's like, you are disrespecting the family and you need to be quiet. And I was like, <laughs> I am the family, mister. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. Leave us alone. Like, this is what we're doing. Like, this is how we're, you know, grieving and, and handling it. The funeral right. home, for the most part, I've we've always had you know such great experiences where like they're gonna let you do what you need to do, like you're grieving. So yeah. don't feel like you have to make it a very traditional stuffy. Yeah, I think that's experience. important information yeah. to get out there. Yeah, yeah, we had a family too that had they had a traditional service, but mom liked angels, and she must have had like hundreds of like little angel statues and the kids were like we don't want these so they brought them to the wake and had everybody take one home with them that showed up and i was like that's awesome that is awesome you know like stuff like that i mean even though that's not necessarily completely out of the ordinary but you know stuff like that i mean you can you can do whatever the fuck you want yeah like if we can make it happen like of course you can do that you know putting things in the casket is that okay yes if it's not like a firearm sure you know like (laughs) whatever you want to do like you know, maybe not a cell phone because I do not want to hear that ringing, but you know, <laughs> that would um, but that did freak me out once actually. I was dressing somebody and like fixing them in the casket, and um, we had like their belongings from the hospital, and, and a phone rang, and I was like, oh my god, like, like, so I was like, oh my god, like it was their phone, Whoa. like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it was really kind of trippy, but um. So, you know, we have yeah. to ask. I was, I, did you see me give <laughs> yes, you the yes, telepathy yes, that yes. I gave her the nod? You know, we have to yes. ask. Just because <laughs> Have do. you had any supernatural happenings? So the first funeral home I worked in, I have a memory of coming back after picking somebody up. I was an older man. And to get out of the morgue, you know, you had to walk down the hallway where the bathrooms are and like come, like kind of a dark area to come around to the office and the chapels were over here and, and you know, they're big two door doorways and, you know, they're usually always open. And I could kind of see somebody like out of the corner of my eye, like laughing, like, like a prankster, like not anything like malicious, but, and I was just like, is that the guy that I just picked up? Like, that's like, hi, like go to the light, you know, kind of thing. And then like went back to the, went back to the office and there's a bathroom in there and I was using the bathroom and I could like the door started shaking. And I was the only one there, you know? So it was like, ugh. that's really like, honestly, the only real wow instance of something. Um, I am a huge scaredy cat. 
So when I'm like the funeral home that I work in now, there's a ton of doors. So if I'm there by myself and it's dark, like if it's night for some reason, oh man, it's the worst. I'm like constantly looking behind me. I'm like running. Like, it's just, <laughs> I, just, like, I don't know. Something's there. Somebody's going to come and jump out at me. And it's, you know, completely irrational, but oh. I'm like the kid that like, I always have to have my, like when I'm sleeping, I always have to have my butt covered because whatever's going to get me is going to like, that's what they're going to go for first. So it's like, it's like, I don't know. It gives me some comfort. Like at night, I always have to have my butt covered. It's, I don't know. That's so funny. So is the actual where you would do the embalming? Is it downstairs? Um, this one's, we don't have a basement. So it's just like in the back. It's a big room. We have two tables, you know, we can embalm one person at a time, but it's just a big white sterile room with cabinets and so you were saying that like there's there is some things that you get concerned about like remember when you were saying that you were interested in this job and AIDS was a big deal at that time yeah and you said it's the least thing that you would be concerned about now like what is something that you would be concerned about um you know like when COVID first hit you know yeah. we had no idea what the transmission was like for post you know for death. And I mean, I looked through the C, I just combed like the 3D, the CDC's recommendations for like hospitals and everything stopped after the autopsy, like if the person was autopsied. So anything post autopsy was not there. And it's like, what are we supposed to do? The person's going to exhale some air when you turn them. It just happens. Am I at risk? Does the virus die after they die? You know, like that's AIDS. one thing with like AIDS. It does die very fast after the person dies. You know, so does COVID die immediately after the person dies? What's the, cause you know, and now we just, we wear the big respirators. You know, I normally would just have worn like a face shield embalming, but now I wear the res respirators all the time now. Well, there's never been an instance of transmission through embalming. So I tend to think that it's not a problem. If we're picking somebody up that has COVID, we put a piece of cotton on their face and soak it with a disinfectant before we even move them. Just so if they do expel anything, it's being expelled into the, the disinfectant. The first couple times we did any removals, we were like suited up into like the yeah. stuff that we wear embalming. It's like a, one of those painters throwaway suits. Uh, we had gloves, booties, like it was <laughs> walking into a hospital with this big thing on yeah. it. And it's like, Ooh. you know, cause, well, and they didn't know either, so. It was still, that was really nerve wracking. And that went on for a good six, eight months before we started to feel a little bit more comfortable about knowing that what we're doing is, you know, that we can still perform, just wear this stuff and you're okay. But I remember like calling like our, the Illinois Department of Health and everywhere I could to like figure out what our risk was. And nobody knew, nobody knew because they, it's, like nobody's worried about the funeral director, <laughs> but it's like, you know, we're dealing with the blood. We're dealing with any kind of expulsion throughout the lungs. Like, but again, I have not heard of any transmission through embalming. So, and I've not ever had COVID. So I guess we're doing something right. Wow. The other thing that's um, a big one is, you know, if somebody has uh, hepatitis that can be transmitted, uh, most of us have all got vaccinated against that. But I think... Hepatitis C, you can't be vaccinated against. So there's, a, you know, like C. diff, um, that's a gastrointestinal bacteria, and that can be transmitted from person to person. And that the big one is um, Crutchfeld-Jakob's disease. It's like the kind of the equivalent of mad cow in humans, but there's no way to know that you have it until it starts manifesting symptoms. What? And... So there's, yeah, and then once you start manifesting symptoms, it's done because it, it, it basically is like kind of like Alzheimer's. It literally just like eats your brain. Oh, so great. you just That's start a losing. new thing for me oh. to obsess over. I won't remember the name. I'll just be like, Sarah, I have mad cow disease for humans. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, Thank we have uh, like one of the Sarah. jokes that me and one of my, like, anytime something happens that's like, maybe a little risky. We'll be like, oh my God, we have CJD. <laughs> Just as a joke to ourselves. But, but the only way to get it is through um, touching brain matter. You're not going to be touching There's brain matter. There's not a ton of things. Now that if we use universal precautions, that is really going to harm us. So, you know, back in the day, people would like eat sandwiches while they were embalming and not wear gloves <laughs> and, you know. 
not not anymore like anyone i know that embalms is like in full gear because you know it can be gross do you um listen to music um usually i listen to podcasts and yours is really good for that because the length of it is like almost exactly the amount of time it takes me to embalm (laughs) we might not be the length of your commute but we are the length of embalming a body yes (laughs) So that's, yeah, I usually listen to a podcast because oh I don't want uh, my coworkers to know what kind of music I listen to. So <laughs> they would be like, what is this? I don't, the, the sons, you know, they're, they're not much older than I am, but our tastes are very different. So, Is there anything else that you want to share with us or have we kind of covered most of it? I mean, you know, you can touch dead people like that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you can kiss them, you know that's okay. I think people get a little freaked out by that, but don't be afraid to ask questions, you know, and if you don't feel comfortable, leave. If it's a funeral home you don't like, or go somewhere else, find some, you know, place that you're comfortable with, because, you know, it's, it's going to be a memorable occasion and you want to make sure that, you know, you can focus on what you're there for. That's really good advice. So thank you so much, Christy. That is so much good information. So many things that I didn't know, that I'm sure that our listeners don't know um, that now they do and they can try to be prepared. And I liked how you said kind of like take baby steps because you can't like just jump in and be like, all right, death, let's deal with it. You know, if you've never talked about it or thought about it. So take some steps to kind of um, prepare and, you know, normalize it, talk about it. But before we let you go, we want to know what, I mean, your job in and of itself is, but if there's anything else, what is weird and or wild about you? Um, I don't know if it's weird, but I love to do paint by numbers. That's one of my like ways to relax. I'm very practical in my everyday life and being creative makes me nervous (laughs) because I don't feel like I am. And so I don't think it'll come out right. So having to paint my numbers where it literally tells you what to do <laughs> is perfect for me. And I've been doing them for the last four years and I've done over a hundred. I just, I absolutely love it. I love having something at the end, but I think that's a little weird. I don't think a lot of people. <laughs> well, do. I think that um, it's probably only weird because they're, the audience members might be thinking like paint by number, like old school when you were a child. These are like yeah. beautiful, like museum pieces <laughs> in the end artwork that she creates. So yeah. They are very intricate paint by numbers um, and quite difficult to do. So that's a very, I love that. That's a great weird and wild thing. Yeah. And another is um, with my running, I have gotten into because of the pandemic and not having really much else to do with my running club in the neighborhood that I live in. We've uh, decided that we're all going to become ultra runners. So, which means any distance greater than a marathon. So I have signed up for a 50 miler in July, which I thought was a great idea because why not run 50 50 miles miles in in July in the, in the, in the heat up, you know, in the middle of summer, that's, you know, fantastic idea. And I also like to do, um, trail and relay races where you have, you're traveling like 200 miles from like point to point and you have X amount of people on your team and you're all running at, you know, once one member of your team is running at all times. So it's hard, it's tiring, but it's so much fun. And it's ridiculous. Like, why would you want to run from Louisville to Lexington? <laughs> like, 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 what would you know? Well, because of the bourbon. Because that's yeah. what you do. You go through all the brewery, you know, all the distilleries. 50 miles. That's, 50 miles. That's crazy, girl. That's it wild. That Amy is doesn't wild. Even like, yeah. Amy doesn't even like driving 50 oh, I miles. Can't, I can't even drive yeah. 50 miles yeah. without falling asleep. So I just yeah, want to finish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Christy... I mean, I think we could call you a warrior. (laughs) Yeah, Um, absolutely. But tell us, what does being a warrior mean to you? Being a warrior, you know, I guess means to me means being brave, not necessarily not being scared, but just being brave, being able to move through things with some kind of grace or just just move through, like, you know, no matter what it looks like, just to be able to to do those hard emotional things, um, which is you know, everybody's dealing with those things now, like this COVID, you know, as much as it's like, oh, everything's fine. Like everything's not fine or it's fine, I guess. But, you know, it brought up the changes that Mm -hmm. things need to happen. You know, relationships ended, you know, people resigned. There's all kinds of 
new things I think that are coming up in society that we're now going to have to deal with as a result of that. But I think anybody that's, I think anybody that's just moving forward in their life is a warrior. If you have that, you know, if you can commit to that and do it honestly. I love that. I do too. So I much. That. I love that so much. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a long time coming because yeah, we talked about it for so long and I'm just so happy that you were able to join us and really educate um, us yeah. and our audience. I know I, everybody was like, start a podcast. So. Uh, that is one I would definitely listen to. When you guys start your your podcast company, I could be one of yes. you. Yes. Yeah. You could be under the, <laughs> one of the uh, ones under your umbrella. Warrior, what is it? You're warrior dead, production, Productions. That's <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you again for joining us and for being so honest and sharing your incredible job with us. And I guess thank you for doing the job because, you know, it's just not one that people think about doing. I, I drive, you drive by a funeral home and think that's what I want to do when I grow up. I drive by and I like literally try to like shun my eyes from it, <laughs> thinking that if I don't exactly. look at it, it won't happen. <laughs> it's not there. Right. Exactly. It's not there. Yeah. So, you know, thank you for showing up every yes. day and caring for people in the most difficult moments of their life. So yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad I, I like my job. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for our conversation with Christy. And we hope you were able to learn some things as we did and take some knowledge home with you and maybe have that just in the back of your head, like Amy said at the beginning, just for when you do come across this circumstance, this inevitable part of life. We did want to share a few things just from our own experiences that we hope will be helpful for you. You can take them or leave them, um, but just some tips for, you know, it's it's intimidating when you walk into a funeral home if you're there to support someone that you love or care about um, who has lost someone. So here are just some tips for you that we thought we would share. And these just came to me because funeral homes make me extremely uncomfortable. And, and like Sarah said, so if you're going to support someone who maybe you didn't even know the person who died, it can even be a little bit more awkward in a sense. So I said, what if the funeral home had like one of those awesome signs, you know, like letting you know, like with the bridal parties here or the <laughs> wedding showers here. But like this is a sign um, at the entrance of the funeral home that says welcome. But then it says not sure what to do and then gives you a list of things to do. So sign the book, take a card. There's a prayer card usually. This is at a regular like funeral traditional, home, traditional yeah. funeral home, obviously not what I chose to do for my husband, but this is like a traditional funeral home where I feel like the awkwardness is palpable. Mm -hmm. Look at pictures. If they have pictures up, if they have photo albums, you know, take, take a look at those and, you know, say hello to, you know, your loved one that you are there to support, offer your condolences. And I'm sorry for your loss is perfectly fine. Absolutely. It doesn't have you to do be not have to anything say anything poetic. I probably would steer clear of at least they're not suffering anymore or any of those other awesome what do terrible what are, the, what are those things? called trite okay. yes <laughs> uh, so you know and you don't have to visit the body you do not have to go up to the body if that makes you uncomfortable and you know say a prayer or say goodbye you can and the other thing is you don't have to stay long no five minutes is fine mm -hmm. um, you're there to tell the person who you love like, I support you, I see you, and I'm here for you after this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, another thing that I don't really know how to do this, but like, I wish I knew what I could bring the person. Like, I would bring you a Starbucks or yeah. like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, what can I, I'll sneak you some whiskey or, um, you know, I, I think that it is nice to be able to, cause that is exhausting. It is. And it is long. And so, you know, to know if you could bring them a little special treat, I don't know. That, that's just me spitfiring. I have no idea. <laughs> I just know that when I go to these things for my friends, I always like don't, I want to bring them something like a, maybe I'll bring a candy bar. I don't freaking know. That's like, I'll pull Scott Baumgartner and bring him a candy bar. <laughs> I don't know. But like, it's just, it's enough to just show your face, give a hug mm -hmm. and walk back out. Yeah, Absolutely. So those are just a few tips as awkward as they are, because it's an awkward situation and yeah. nobody knows what to do, but that's to give you a little something that you can do. And we hope that helps. 
We really do. And, you know, I, we realize this was, this is a hard topic. Obviously we realize that, but it, it is, it's a part of life mm-hmm. and we have to talk about it um, because it's going to happen to all of us. Absolutely. So I do have a quick ask for you as we move into next week and we think about next week's episode and, and sort of close out this one, um, is that if you could visit our website and I will put the link in the show notes, ob, uh, <laughs> but there is a little microphone button. And if you click on that microphone button, it gives you the opportunity to leave us a voicemail and we are taking all of your suggestions. We want to get your recorded voice to tell us what are your mental health tips and tools that you have that you want to share with our audience so anything it could be anything it can from be anything it could be like i color yeah i listen to this app and it could be something big as right. well right i want to hear it and we're but we're serious we're serious please do it please, we, we love you. you we really want you all on here as guests and this is an easy way to do it so you know give yourself two minutes and share with the world you don't have to say your name um, and so it's still anonymous, but we're going to share your voice out in the episode next week. So send them in. Yes, we would love that. Also, um, another way to support us and help us keep making episodes is to visit us on Patreon. Uh, that is Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Unqualified Therapists, Inc. And there you can sign up to be a part of our community. And we just have a few extras on there for our supporters. Um, but it's just a great way to really help keep the mental health stigma removal process going. <laughs> yes. Yes. And this part of our journey that is how we keep the lights on yes as they exactly. say keep this podcast um, going. so this is how the podcast stays on the air and we really do appreciate so deeply the support of our patreons and um hope to see you all at book club yes and we have a new patreon that i just want to shout out oh yes so we want to say thank you to pam Pam, we are so appreciative of you and we can't believe that you listened to us on your journey across the country i know and we also can't believe that we were dinner conversation That's so weird. from somebody that we don't even know yeah. and so somebody we don't even know recommended us to you whatever it's a good it reminder is. it is a beautiful reminder that people are listening and it's pam- not just going out there into the ether <laughs> no it's not into the void uh pam we appreciate you we thank you for um you know to support us and yes. be a part of our community welcome yes welcome welcome all right folks we love you we sure do we hope you have a wonderful week stay wild and weird <laughs>
This episode was brought to you by Sarah Simone and Amy Baumgartner. Theme song and other music provided by Epidemic Sound. Editing and production by Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this, join our fan club at patreon.com slash unqualifiedtherapistsinc. Follow us on Instagram at unqualifiedtherapists, where you will find our link tree to all things here at the UT. If you have a story to tell or a topic you'd like us to discuss, email us at unqualifiedtherapists at gmail.com. Until next week, warrior, hold on. We're gonna make it. <laughs>